Surely the Jewish people is no less deserving than other peoples. Are the Arabs responsible for that problem? Have they acted or worked or helped in creating such a problem? The Jewish people were your allies in the war and joined their sacrifices to yours to achieve a common victory. So we're going to start a tradition, which is going to be going forward. Probably might even what, do we be, call, what are we calling this? We're uh, going to call this the banter section. Banter. Yeah, we're just going to go banter. back and forth and just kind of banter about uh, different topics covered in the episode and just yeah, in general. Just giving our thoughts, giving some key facts, giving yeah. some context. First topic. Yeah. What's first topic for banter? First topic is... Uh, let's go 1948. 1948 War. Let's get a little context. So here's the thing, though. I don't want to get too 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 much in depth here because okay. this could be a seventeen hour episode. Indeed, it can. You know, so yeah. I just, the listeners got other things going on. In their exactly, lives. exactly. So let's not it's waste our time. The really bare basics about nineteen forty eight. So that's the war, the War of Independence or uh, Nakba, depending on you know if you're Arab, Palestinian, or you're Jewish. Now here's the here's the complicated fact. They knew that. Once the British mandate ended, that the surrounding Arab armies were going to invade. Mm-hmm. So knowing this, they felt like they had to secure their borders. Of course. They had a lot of Palestinian villages that were on strategic roads in strategic areas. <clears throat> and essentially, it was basically a fifth column. Sure. So from a humanistic perspective, of course, I'm not going to support the expulsion of anyone. But... I will say that from a military perspective, I think it was kind of a hot take, but I think it was something that was unfortunately necessary. Sure. And you got to, I think you got to factor in there that Israel then was not the Israel of today. No. You know, didn't have the support of the entire world, wasn't best friends with the United States. No. Didn't have the strongest army in the region. No. They did benefit from more of a structured army. Sure. Because they had people that, that volunteered uh, yeah. for the for right. the allies. Professionals who had, yeah. had some experience. Yeah. So there were there were definitely factors. Not that... the economic powerhouse it was today. No, 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 no. No Certainly... high tech scene. No, no, just high tech scene. All right. High Zero high tech. Scene. Yeah. But however, a lot of people kind of say, oh, this the weak Israelis against, you know, the all powerful Arabs. You know, that's not entirely true. There were definitely aspects that gave Israel specific advantages. Sure. And we'll get into that. We'll later. get into that later later yeah, day. Later episode. Yeah. We can go we can go on about We're going this for hours. We got UNRWA today. Let's let's move on to UNRWA. Big top, let's do it. Here's the thing about UNRWA. President Trump and the State Department called it an irredeemably, irredeemably flawed irredeemably operation. flawed operation. Now Irredeemably, you know, irredeemably that's strong. That's strong. That, that, that indicates it's got to go because it's irredeemable. It's flawed. Look, the common ground that's been found on this issue between people who opposed President Trump's cuts, which were $364 billion, million dollars, million. that's my bad, million dollars, out of a $1.1 billion budget in 2017. That's about one third of UNRWA's entire budget was cut with the stroke of a pen from President Trump. Now, a lot of people who opposed Trump's cuts also recognize UNRWA as flawed. The question is, is it irredeemable? Does it need to go? Will it, leaving from the scene, help peace? Because at the end of the day, anyone who cares about this issue cares about two states for two people. I mean, you hope that, you know, if you're a... We hope you're, that we hope that people we hope care that's, about that's this. That's the goal yeah. here, right? We want yeah. two states. So the question is, is UNRWA an obstacle to two states or is it just kind of, it smooths things over, it helps out, it, it has a, it has 700 schools that it operates between the West Bank and Gaza. Mm-hmm. It distributes food, it has other aid for the, for the population. Well, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. We're not dealing with the now, devil here. here's where the flaws are seen. People find its bureaucracy to be corrupt. 
people find its definition of refugee to be the biggest obstacle to peace. And what is its definition of a refugee, Ezra? Well, like we said in the beginning, I think the biggest thing here is that it grants refugee status to descendants. Per month, UNRWA adds 10,000 new fifth and sixth generation refugees to its, its roles of people. And that, see, from my perspective, that's that's not okay because the UNHCR doesn't do that, which is the UN's body for, the UN's for, body for all, all over the world, exactly. And so the other thing that the UNHCR does is that if you are a citizen of another country, you're no longer a refugee, exactly. which UNRWA also doesn't do, does not do. And, and we we have refugees under the auspices of UNRWA that are in states that are in Jordan. Yep, they're in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Different uh, states have, you know, different policies sure. of incorporating. Of course, right? and I people mean, have argued that the reason for them not being settled is because the Arab states have wanted to use them as kind of pawns, bargaining chips, yeah. pawns. Yeah. You really hate to see you it. You hate to see it. Hate to see we it. can't get in the head of King uh, Abdullah, unfortunately. It's probably a fascinating place, but, you know. I'd love to be there. You know, <laughs> love to you be know there. what I'm saying? I mean, you never but know. The other thing is the UNHCR and UNRWA is UNRWA still gives refugee status to convicted terrorists, something UNHCR sure. does not do. They remove yeah. the refugee status yeah. if they are convicted right. a terrorist. Now, um, I'm no legal expert, but that sounds like a problem. It's not, not ideal. Giving refugee status to a convicted terrorist. Not ideal. All right, so we got a difference in how UNRWA and how the UNHCR, how they, how they function, right? UNRWA, which is caring for about five and a half million of what they consider to be refugees, and that's something we could, we could discuss— employs nearly 30,000 people, the majority of whom are Palestinians. And the UNHCR employs about 9,300 people for nearly 40 million refugees and displaced persons around the world. So critics will tell you that UNRWA is bloated, that it's a corrupt bureaucracy, and that, you know, highly inefficient, which is, again, flawed. Is it irredeemably so? We'll get into that in a bit. Now, the budget allocated to each Palestinian refugee that is under the auspices of UNRWA is 40% higher than that budgeted to a refugee under the auspices of the UNHCR. So you got 40% more of the budget under UNRWA going to a Palestinian refugee who, again, by other definitions, might not even be considered a refugee. So basically you're saying there's more money to less people. There's more money to less people. Interesting. Now, I do think that this is a unique... Tell us what's unique about it. Well, it's just unique in that, you know, I mean, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is unique in many ways. Nothing like it. No, no. But, um, I mean, I, I will also say that you know, if you you can see with almost with thirty thousand employees, a lot of which are Palestinians, you can see why the Israeli security uh, establishment is not totally against. Not totally against. Let's. I think this is an important point here. Yeah, because I mean, you have thirty thousand people employed. These are people that unemployment and poverty. Right, what can happens lead if they lose their jobs? Exactly. In this stew of emotion and, and anger exactly. and resentment and grievance, right. what happens? And Lord knows there's a lot Lord of reason knows. to be have, you know, a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. And sure. when you're not doing anything, that can get channeled into oh, uh, not good is, places. You know, boredom is the enemy of, uh, I don't know, give me something good. Peace. Sure. Yeah, uh, boredom is the enemy of peace. I love yeah. it. So anyway, so I, I think you can understand why the security establishment in Israel Which I think, is not totally right. against it. And not totally against it. Not only that, you know, you've seen reports. We've seen reports mm-hmm. uh, in the wake of Trump's cuts that publicly Netanyahu, you know, he's kind of known to do this. He'll support it. He'll say, we're with you. Like, thanks for bringing yeah. the hammer down, yeah, Donald. Yeah. But privately in the in the war room with his with his cabinet and with the security establishment, it's a bit more nuanced. It's more mm-hmm. complicated. It's, okay, if UNRWA folds, 
there could be a wave of violence that then it blows up in our face. It ends up being bad for everyone in the region. What's your opinion on, I mean, do you think this is, is this Trump trying to push for peace? Is this Trump just taking a kind of U.S. first attitude? Talk to me a little about that. I think it's really, I think it's, I think Trump is a unique figure and that he's very, it's very difficult to figure out his exact motivation behind things. I think a lot of people you have a difficulty with that. He's yeah. tough to figure out in general, you know. Yeah. But I think his motivations, I think he's got a giant cohort of evangelicals in the States mm-hmm. who love him. And he yep. knows that. The thing that he knows, he really knows his base. Yeah. So is this another bone to the base? Is it in line with his America first, make America great again, let's cut funds that are going to other countries type of deal? You know what I'm saying? Is it, okay, we've got $364 million being spent abroad. Is that money we could be spending domestically? Is that his thought process? Is it, I really want there to be peace between Israel and Palestine, and UNRWA is a giant obstacle map, so let's cut its legs off? We don't know. Because just like King Abdullah, we mm-hmm. can't get in, in Donald's head, you know? Yeah. Or is he just I don't know like, where I'd rather be. Or Abdullah's is he just like, I'm Donald's sick head. of the Palestinians, you know, not treating me with respect, right. you know, let's, right. let's cut is it. Is it that? Yeah. Because we know Donald loves to get stroked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he, he does. does you know? Now, I've actually, from day one, ever since he, he started this whole Jerusalem thing and started uh, shaking things up, I'm holding off criticism until I see the end yeah. game plan. You take each thing individually, you're sure. like, well, what are you doing, big guy? Sure. Given the, you know, the whole paradigm of how things have always gone, it just seems very strange. For sure. If you take them individually. Mm. But... I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful you can Great. You gotta keep a, You got to keep a long-term mindset on this because this exactly. is an issue that doesn't happen in Listen, we've had time. a ton of incredibly knowledgeable, smart, good diplomats make their best efforts to no avail. Oh, for years. Let's see what, no avail. Let's see what President Trump can do. Let's see what he can do. Let's unleash him. Look, let's is unleash it, him. Well, you know. Is this a brainchild of Greenblatt and Kushner? Because we know that they've been working mm, on this magical yeah. peace plan, which again we're unsure of when that's getting revealed. And, and I mean, we'll like sure I say, to... you know, I mean, I think that a, a Jew who loves real estate, I think if anyone can make peace, <laughs> it's going to be him, right? Yeah, yeah. No, but, but but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, though, continue. Sorry. No, so you know, it's no. Hey, you know, you're on the mark. Sorry. It's, is it anti-Semitic or, or accurate? No! I don't know. That's for the fans to decide. That's for the fans to decide. A couple of Jews are jabbing A couple of Jews jabbing. That should be the title of our podcast. A couple of Jews jabbing. So how does this fit into the larger picture of the peace plan? We don't know. We don't know. I, I, well, listen, we've been waiting for, what is it now, six months? Feels he keeps, like a decade. He's saying he's going to release like I was 12 it. when listen, they first... I'm really hopeful. You know, yeah, you got Netanyahu strengthening ties with people in the region. Is sure. that just because just, of Iran? Just to Oman. Yeah, exactly. Now, is this because of, you know, things going on with Iran and you got, you know, these strengthening of sides? Right. Is this showing kind of warming of relations? Personally, I mean, I think it's crucial that the Middle East is behind this process sure. and kind of pushing both sides it. to make concessions. Absolutely. Because I think that'll help save face. For sure. Especially on the Palestinian side. Now... Why don't we, we could, talk about? We, we could go on this forever. Oh, sure, yeah. let's talk about moving forward. What happens? So that's a good question. What should happen? You know, if we're talking from a perspective of peace, I mean, I, I got to say, I mean, I, I kind of see the continu- con- continuation by UNRWA of the refugee issue and the continuation just mounting and mounting numbers of refugees. I almost I see it like the settlements. It's right. like you know they're just in, in, in the peace process. This is just it's just not gonna it's not okay. Sure, and it's a non-starter. For, yeah. for You can't forget. I mean, if you're talking about a negotiation, which happens in a room between a bunch mm-hmm. of people, for Israel, 
it is a non-starter that all 5.6 million of who UNRWA consider refugees come back to Israel. Exactly. Uh, now, would they would they all come back? No, probably well, not. No, no. Where are they going? Where are they, not, going, where are they, going, course, where are they but, going back to? Yeah, the state of Israel, the Jewish exactly. state of Israel. Yeah. So, well, I think I think and uh, I think Dr. Elstad said, you know. Exactly. Like are, when people see like what Israel's now, are they going to, you know, what do they think they're going back to? Sure. There's always been discussed a symbolic number of refugees yeah. coming back if they so Which, choose. And of course, there are maybe 10 to 20,000 people still exactly. alive who are refugees. Exactly. Under, now, even under the UNHCR definition. Exactly. So, so I think you bring up an important point there. Because you talk about the symbolic right of return. From a Palestinian perspective, this is something no one no one can, can sure. give up this right. Sure. Right? So, so maybe we can bridge that. We can we can you know can Israel well, can Israel do something? Exactly. well exactly. So from from my understanding, it's it's a lot about honor and pride. Sure. In, in Arab cultures, you know, and when you talk about peacemaking and stuff like that, a big thing is on justice. Absolutely. You know, is justice served? So I mean it's kind of the topic of of our episode, but obviously I don't think, and I don't think you think, peace is compatible with justice. Sure. Justice is compatible with peace with regard to this issue. Full justice? It's just not. If, sorry, when I'm prime minister, well, you know, prime minister, I, I, would make a, I would make a statement to the Palestinians acknowledging their suffering. Sure. Um, and then, I mean, I, I really think that that kind of thing can go a long way. And it's Rudy just, Rivlin, the president of yeah, Israel, yeah, exactly. what did he do? He went to he went to an ago. Arab village yeah. where there was a massacre. Yeah, and I mean I just think those kinds reported of... by Israel and during, yeah, yeah exactly during the forty eight war. Uh, no, that was uh, after. It was after during uh, fifty seven. I 57. think fifty seven. Okay, but those kinds of steps I just feel like can go so far. So far, you know what I mean? You just yeah. can't imagine for sure the impact that those could have. So I think if you can have that kind of just genuine acknowledgement and we genuine can just... shift the goalposts exactly of what does justice let's just, mean? Let's just shift the goalposts. Shift the goalposts. That's what yeah. we call the podcast. Shift the book. Shift, shift the goalposts. Goal <laughs> but like you know, I mean, I just think that you just you need that kind of acknowledgement, and you can't have it. Can't be in like a, oh, we're sorry for your suffering, but you guys are regardless of you know whether it's sure. true or not. Which you no, know, they, just give us they an were apology. Not, they were active members in the war. Absolutely. I get it for sure. Absolutely. But when you're making an apology, you know, it's always less effective when you're right. like, but, hey, listen, I'm sorry, but, but come on, yeah, let's no, be honest. What happened to me? You know? No, it's not effective. And exactly. I think if you we talk about context and not taking these moves. As a standalone event, I think we're we're gonna wrap up here. Let's wrap up soon. <laughs> Before we wrap up, let's. I just want to talk about one thing: the Geneva Initiative. Sure. They so just talking about kind of unique ideas to kind of like quote unquote keep. They want to believe in the right of return. Mm. They can believe in the right of return as Absolutely. long as. It's, but like so, for example, the G Geneva Initiative. They talk about the options for refugees, and I think it's kind of interesting because it'll allow the Palestinians to kind of. Make them feel like they're choosing because mm. they'll say, you know, you can either move back to future Palestinian state, you mm -hmm. can get resettled where you are now, mm -hmm. or you can come back to present day Israel. And then, I mean, I think before anything, you know, before they say, you know, the Palestinians will submit what they want. And yeah. then, you know, everyone can look at the numbers yeah. and then they can come up with something reasonable. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the best way to do it because I don't think Israel is going to say like, okay, if you all want to come back, sure, come back. Let's look at the numbers. Right. Let's see who wants Make to come back. Make them an active player. Exactly. And then make them feel like they're choosing their own justice. For sure. You know, so I thought that that was a, I like a that. pretty interesting idea. Now, real quick, I just want to mention that from the from the Palestinian perspective, you can see why, again, taken in a vacuum, you might even find some on the Palestinian side who will see problems with UNRWA as being an obstacle to peace. But I think if you take this into context of 
everything else Trump has done. It, the Palestinians won't even meet with him right now. They, okay. don't, they, don't, they don't see him as a partial, in, impartial negotiator in any sense, I'd oh, say, I right? Yeah. The Jerusalem embassy move, all these things together as one piece. Well, yeah. Well, because because Trump, there was one article a couple, uh, like a month ago, which said, it's Trump said it's time for Israel, like basically Israel got Jerusalem, now it's time for Israel to make some concessions. Right, to make some concessions. So far, it's so only been the Palestinians. Exactly. We'll see. So let's see. Could be part of a master plan. Exactly. Trump doesn't strike me as a master, master plan. plan? No, master plan from a master man. Wow. Yeah. You invent that on the spot? I did, actually. So I think you bring up one more before we get on to 194, which we got to touch on before sure. we finish up. I think the other thing from the Palestinian perspective is this is a deeper issue than just 48 when we talk about justice. This isn't just you know what happened in the war. It's like this whole idea of Western imperialism is supporting a group of people that they don't see as having any right to the land. Sure. And, of course, as Jews, of course, we think we have a right to the land. Absolutely. You know, this Absolutely. and that. I mean, from the 2000, you know, we were here 2,000 years ago. You know, this is our land. We're just coming back to it. I don't totally agree with that. Sure. But from a perspective, listen, we uh, the Jews purchased the land before 1948. Legally. Legally. 100% of it. 100%. Yep. We'll get into the details we'll of that. Later episode. Yeah, yeah, later episode. You know, what happened to the when they purchased, but yeah. Sure. We'll get into that later on. But I think that the important part with this is at the same time, you can understand perfectly where they're coming from, which I can. Sure. And then also disagree with them completely. 100%. Yeah, with, with what they're saying. my entire being. Yeah. Because, look, you can't... <laughs> If there's a, not even a recognition, if, if the idea is two states for two peoples, but eventually to be taken over by the one people because the other people has no right to be here, where are we, exactly. going? Where are we going? Exactly. But a lot of people who, who cover this and who analyze this and who think about this and care about this will say that a big issue is settlements are an issue, UNRWA is an issue, trust is an issue, mm-hmm. but the refusal... To recognize Israel as to recognize Jews as having any kind of legitimate connection to Israel, I think is a, is a, is right up there. I might disagree with you on this. Okay, actually. great. I think actually, I mean, I get it. I get it. They want them to recognize the legitimacy of a claim here from yeah. a historical perspective. Sure. I think what the Palestinian side does in terms of denying any historical connection is just going off the deep end. You know, saying like there's no history of the Temple Mount. There's sure. no history. Right, you like, know, with, with Hebron. I mean, come just on. kind we, of fictionalizing. Abraham. Abraham's our, you of know. Of course, our, of course. You know what I mean? Come right. on. We both have history here. These are like, alternative facts to the max. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, to, to make them say, listen, hey, you guys must say the Jews are here. They have a True. right to be here. I don't need that. We don't Do need, we need that? that. I don't think we, I don't think no. we need that. I think you're right. No. I think you're right in the fact that we don't need that. But I think that changing attitudes, maybe not, maybe you don't need a formal ceremony where they're like, all right, Jews. You belong, yeah. Yeah. you know, shaking hands and pointing to the mount and yeah. getting the maps. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah. But I think an overall attitude adjustment yeah. would help. Of would be course. helpful. Would oh, be helpful oh, even just for the Israeli sides. Oh, of course. Okay. This it, is, will this help the Israeli side get ready it'll for- It'll help them to concede. Yeah. To concede. Exactly. You know? Exactly. We're not best buddies. We're no. to sit down for a beer. Exactly. You know? I mean- but you know. you're not going to- You don't want to make peace with the people that are saying- Hey, you guys have eventually get, get out you're of out of here. Yeah, you know, we'll do this. We'll Israel do the might exist, now, but, but the Jewish state of Israel exists because it's temporary. Yeah, right? exactly. It's not something you feel totally. That's not. Yeah, you don't want to make concessions with that in the back of your head. And we'll get into these these topics. These are later episodes. episodes. Let's let's finish up talking about one nine four because you can't really talk about the refugees without talking about one nine four. Absolutely. So I know hate, people hate listening to just reading things, but I mean, I think we just got to read the sure. article of one nine four. I mean, I read UN resolutions on a daily basis in my free time. First thing I do in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. 
coffee and you got the paper. You got you, you got GA resolution. It's the best. So UN Resolution One Nine Four Article Eleven says, "I'm going to read this fast." Resolves that the refugees wishing to return to their homes and live at peace with their neighbors should be permitted to do so at the early earliest practicable date, and that compensation should be paid for the property of those choosing not to return and for loss of or damage to property which, under principles of international law or in equity, should be made good by the governments or authorities responsible. So here's the thing about 194. 194 was not a Security Council resolution. Mm. This was a General Assembly resolution. Thus, it was not binding to states. Non-binding. It was binding to the UN, mm -hmm. but it was not binding to states. Sure. And another important thing is it does not mention descendants of refugees. Absolutely. There's nothing in international law that talks about a right of return. Mm -hmm. That being said, like we were talking about before, when we talk about peace and we talk about justice and we talk about their side. You have to understand their side. You have to be willing to help that side want peace. Totally. And they want justice. So mm -hmm. you need to help them feel like they are getting justice. So yeah. going back, I think that the Geneva Initiative Plan, where you're kind of empowering them in the as an active process and you're acknowledging them, I think that that's an important I think step. So too. I think that that has some potential. And I think 194 is important to mention because it is often used. Often used. BDS. BDS. Oh, yeah. They love one. They'll whip it out as a, as a signal. Maybe they didn't even read it. But they'll whip it out as vindication, as justification yeah. for the full right of return. Yeah. And I think both sides could use a little loosening of their positions in this regard. Because if you're arguing for a full right of return and you're citing international non-binding resolutions mm -hmm. from the UN, you're just never gonna get never gonna get anywhere. And listen, I I am with you. I also now can I'm, the spirit of one nine four be embraced by the Israelis? This guy's got a new haircut. He just wants to interrupt me nonstop. I mean, I'm kind of haircut looking good. good. Feeling good. Feeling sharp. Take it away. Take you it know, away. I remember. Can the spirit be embraced? Yeah. Not the letter of the law. I agree with you 100. And I think that's that's the thing. You know, you got to take law. You also got to be reasonable. Sure. You know, you got to understand which laws are feasible and not feasible. Feasibility. Feasibility. Exactly. Key concept. Feasibility right? under the law. Absolutely. One thing we also need to take into consideration that's very important is separating the people from the leaders, yes. which is often something that's overlooked. completely forgotten. Yeah, for sure. Forgotten and overlooked. For sure. And on that point, there's a very interesting two surveys conducted by Palestinian uh, pollsters in October. I love surveys. Found, love surveys. They found very, data is key. Num hard numbers are key. They found some very interesting views that I think will startle. They certainly startled me. Okay. Let's throw them out. Ready? The first step. Two-thirds of Gazans that were polled said Palestinians should accept that the right of return not apply to Israel, only to the West Bank and Gaza. Two-thirds of Gazans said that, that they think that refugees from the 48 war should only go to a future Palestinian state in West Bank and Gaza, not Israel, where their former homes were. That is shocking. Shocking. Two-thirds. Finish the stats and then- Okay, then more stats. Ready? More. Yeah. Only 14% said that they would, quote, probably want to move to Israel, even if they could. And 79% said that they would accept the permanent resettlement of Palestinians from other countries in only the West Bank and Gaza and not in Israel. That is 79%. That is shocking in the best way possible. I mean, look at if, the, if you're looking at it from a two-state solution perspective. Great where, news. Amazing news. Where where was this study? From? We let, let's look at the other Palestinian territories though. Real okay. Quick. In the West, in the West Bank, it's a little less. Okay. It's a little less, but still larger than I certainly mm -hmm. thought. So uh, basically, West Bankers are evenly split that refugees not end up getting resettled in Israel. 
48% would accept that, that refugees only be resettled in the West Bank or Gaza, and 52% were opposed. Still more than I would think. Nearly half of people of Palestinians living in the As West Bank. As I said, from a two-state uh, solution perspective, that is incredible news. Now, here's my question. Yeah. I have two things. Go for it. First of all, shocking, even more shocking, that the Gazans are the ones that are more willing to compromise. You'd think they'd be less willing. Exactly. Right? Is, this, is this just because they're you know saying to themselves, well, our legend, let's just get a solution already. We just want to, you know get better lives for us. You'd think that they'd get hardened in times of like conflict like this and between that's uh, That's what the, the rhetoric would lead you to believe. That is shocking that that happens. Number two, uh, also interestingly, I think, now I don't want to be a conspiracist, but I mean, Trump's peace plan coming out, one of the biggest things is the right of return. If you're telling me this comes out and says that the Palestinians are actually willing to kind of mm. compromise on the right of return, very interesting. In very terms of how it, what do you think can move the Palestinians? Oh, I think, I think it could move the whole peace process forward. Seeing these numbers. Yeah. You got to hope they see it's a, it. Because the Israelis yeah. see it as a non-starter. And is it, it is a, a non-starter. Well, not only they see it, it is a non-starter it's for a two-state non solution. But here's the problem is in a society, the Palestinian society, mm -hmm. where dissent is not exactly welcomed. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think it's a stretch to say it's not a democratic... Uh, these aren't democratic institutions, the yeah. PA and Hamas. So yeah. how important... How important is is you you'd hope that the leaders would listen to their publics and would move in that direction if they want exactly, public support, yeah. but history shows that that's not always the case. So that's the problem. I that's, mean, that discrepancy between the the fiery rhetoric from Hamas and and from Abbas. That's the thing. Here, and here's the thing, and I, I've heard this before too. Is that okay? So behind closed doors, which are these surveys, people can speak their minds and speak freely. Mm. But the moment you step out and go against that collective narrative, you're yeah. automatically an outcast. Yeah. And I think that's the issue. But if you're but regardless, but regardless, hey hey, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. I'll take this. For all sure. It's I'll a take crawl. This all day. We're crawling towards peace. Honestly, I feel like with this kind of, I feel like that's a gallop. A gallop. <laughs> I don't want to get out of myself. <laughs> don't get sea biscuit right now. <laughs> All right. It's a canter. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to uh, end today, unless you've got some more thoughts. Hey, what's up next? I'm I think, ready for I think our next episode is going to be one of the most what interesting. What are we talking about next? The well, U.S.-Israel relationship. Who's, who's on, on for it? Should we this is good time. Should I don't think we should reveal it. We keep on the rats. It's a big that's name. That's big time. It's a big name. It's a former. No, 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 no. No, they'll find out. Next they'll time. find out. Next time. All right. U.S. is really... Sounds good. Okay, take your guess. Can't wait to see you guys later. A big thank you to Michael Secular for all of the incredible editing. A shout out to Roger Fetter for the motivation, Boris Yeltsin for the inspiration, and Yo-Yo Ma for the inclination. Stay tuned, folks.